0: Open, outspoken, it's Ophthalmology Off the Grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Blake Williamson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. I'm Dr. Blake Williamson. In our previous episode, we discussed why a young surgeon might want to invest into an ambulatory surgery center. In this episode, I've asked Dr. Taylor Strange to share his experience and journey to ASC ownership. Steve Shepard from Medical Consulting Group also shares advice for what physicians should anticipate when planning for their potential ASC future. Let's listen.
1: Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts.
0: Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off Your Grid. I'm your host, Dr. Blake Williamson, and I am super pumped about this episode because we're still talking all about ASCs, the Ambulatory Surgery Center um, which is just such a unique and special thing uh, uh, to uh, to have in the ophthalmology space. Um, last episode, uh, our guest, uh, Michael Patterson and Andrew Maller, kind of gave us sort of a 40,000 foot view of you know why you would even want uh, it, it ownership in an ASC. A lot of young ophthalmologists listening to this podcast may not even know what that's, you know, owning an ASC is all about. Maybe they work in an academic center. Maybe they've, they've never thought about the business dynamics of it. But uh, my hope is that after that episode, um, you, you sort of to start to you started to look at the real world perks of, of ASC ownership. So for this episode, now that you know why you might want to have ownership in an ASC, how do you go out and get it? How do you go out and build it? Right? Um, it seems like such a daunting task for a young ophthalmologist if you have to go out and get a you know three, four, or five million dollar loan from a bank and you know build this big center, and there's all these regulations it just seems like a tall task. Well, I have a friend of mine who's uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Dr. Taylor Strange at Alliance Vision, and uh, he went out and did just that. So he's my guest today along with Dr. Uh, or Mr. Sorry, uh, Steve Shepard. Uh, Steve, in, in the, name, the name of your, your consulting and in, in business firm is?
1: Medical Consulting Group. We're in Springfield, Missouri, and I head up the ASC Development Group.
0: Yeah, been around a long time. Steve has amazing uh, uh, knowledge in this space mcg is one of the big time players that can really help us through um, so we're going to lean on him uh, as well but maybe we'll start off with taylor just kind of introducing yourself um, talk about your journey through this because you didn't just go build an asc right out of residency you worked to some different different practices maybe kind of lead in with sort of um, you, you, those first few years five six seven ten years out of practice you know kind of what were you doing, and then kind of when did the idea form, you know what, I need to go build my own thing, and and kind of give us sort of the, 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 uh, the, uh, the early
2: phases of that. Thank you, Blake. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Uh, Taylor Strange, Alliance Vision Institute here in the Fort Worth area. Um, I came out of residency in about 2014, and I grew up in the Fort Worth area, so I knew I wanted to come back here and practice. And initially, like most people, I joined um, a fairly large ophthalmology, multi-specialty practice right out of residency, uh, great experience, but always knew I wanted to do things on my own, um, ultimately. And with that, um, the ASC was kind of always on my mind, even from the beginnings of joining a practice that owned their own ASC. But knew that you know, long term, you'd have to work your way into it, which is fine, which is what most situations are. But I decided, you know, I was kind of restricted in that first practice about what I could do as far as LASIK and becoming a real refractive cataract um, refractive surgeon. So since moved on, decided to start my own practice, and I opened up the doors uh, February of 2017. Uh, Just ground zero startup, hung a shingle, you know, didn't buy anybody's existing practice. I just knew the area because I grew up here and I was like, wow, this Alliance area is just booming. Um, Top five fastest growing areas in the United States. Um, Everyone, you know, just seems to be moving from California, New York, and you name it, to this area. So started networking. Went out with, you know, several ODs, just started getting my name out there and, um, you know, things just took off, Um, you know, first year of practice, I mean, already doing, you know, 800 cataracts, you know, from a ground zero startup, it was just more than I imagined I could do that quick. And so I was like, wow, you know, I really need to start thinking about building my own surgery center. Because I knew that that was going to be a goal of mine um, in building my practice Um, for all the benefits that were listed on the last podcast. um, You know, the facility fees alone, you know, I mean, you know, you you got to, you're going to have to operate somewhere, right? If you're doing eye surgery, right? So you can either give the hospital the facility fees or you can keep the facility fees. So, Um, you know, common sense drawn out, I I knew that, you know, it was going to be a great business move long term, even though you have to go with the upfront cost of getting a a pretty sizable loan. So backing up, right about 2018, when I saw, you know, my numbers and where they're at, I got a pro forma from a third party consulting group. And my pro forma was listed about 23 cases a week cataracts. And about five yags a week, I could pretty much break even on the cost of the loan, and the interest, um, all the uh, the taxes, and, and everything that goes into it, which uh, Steve Shepard can talk about um, at, when I conclude this. But you know, once you kind of hit that break even number, I'd say you know go for it, right? Because I'm only going to go north of here. Okay, so. Once I got that pro forma, you know, I went to the bank and, and you know, several banks locally and um, had, you know, I was able to get it pretty easily. That I'm competing against um, me knowing where my practice was and where it was headed. So used that to leverage between the different banks to get a better interest rate and decided to go with a, with a bank you know, locally here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area to finance it. And um, it's been, you know, just the, the best, you know, other than starting my own practice, the second best decision I've made so far on this journey. And it's all about, you know, initially starting, it's about, do you have the volume to support the cost of your surgery center? Okay, once you hit that, and you can go north of it, it, it's 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 all gravy after that.
0: I'm gonna bring you in, Steve. So what do you think about his his roadmap there? Because it sounds like it makes sense to me. You know, most people aren't gonna go build an ASC right out of residency because to Taylor's point, they don't have the volume. How are they gonna do that? What bank's gonna give them all that money? It makes sense to maybe get your feet under you, learn in a bit busy practice, maybe get some pick up some business tips along the way. Uh, go ahead and start your own practice to build your volume, the clinic, not the ASC, just the clinic. And then once you have enough volume, that's whenever you go to the bank. Is that, is that roadmap that, that he kind of did? Is that how people should do it? Are there, are there other ways to do it? Are there better ways to do it? You know, what, do you, what would you be advising a young surgeon?
1: Well, I would be advising a young surgeon to pretty much follow Dr. Strange uh, process. He made the comment um, that he created a financial pro forma based on some anticipated Uh, case volumes, 23 cataracts a week, five Yags a week, you know, roughly translates into what, 1,200 cataracts a year, um, 60, I guess that would be 60 out, uh, 300 Yags a year, Uh, and a really key phrase he used was, "I I knew I was going to go north from there. So, I've been doing this 23 years now. We've done about 100 ASCs in 35 states, one in Canada. The first thing we do is create a financial pro forma from physicians, physician groups looking at potentially developing a surgery center. And I will tell you, in 23 years, I've probably told more physicians don't do it than i have told to do it, because as Dr. Strange and you, Blake, indicated, it's a, a... A significant financial um, commitment uh, that's going to go on for a long period of time. So uh, doing it to break even isn't necessarily something I would recommend. But if your practice has the trajectory that I know yours had and Dr. Strange's practice had, then great. The light changes kind of from from caution to green and and go forward, but um, uh, you know I, I think you may have in your introduction talked about spending three to five million dollars. Those are really quite good numbers for a one room potentially a two room ambulatory surgery center, um, and um, that would include not only the construction of the facility but also equipping it. And then there's a long regulatory process you go through where you're funding that, often through a working capital line of credit. Um, And so step one is find somebody as Dr. Strange did that can put together the numbers for you and you can take an objective look about where am I? I mean, it, it may be if your practice is growing rapidly as yours has and his did, Um, maybe you wait 12 months. Uh, The process itself to get all the way through from bang, I want to build an ASC to getting the first Medicare check in the mail is going to be anywhere from 18 to 24 months, depending on where you are. If you can anticipate growth during that period of time, then fine, factor that into the pro forma. If you can't, don't. You know, it's one of the our, our our mantra at Medical Consulting Group is we don't build blue sky into these things. We want it to work. We want to know it's going to work on day one. And so, having said that, we're obviously very bullish on ambulatory surgery center development. Um, it's very exciting for me, having being the old gray haired guy in the company, to see young physicians such as the two of you that are kind of jumping on the horse and, and riding it to, you know, a win in the race. And I, I really do think that's really the future of the private practice of, of ophthalmology. And so congratulations to both of you.
0: I want to ask you that about that, because um, do, do you think, do you have a sense that today today's young ophthalmologists are perhaps less entrepreneurial or take less risks? Than they did in the '90s, whenever all this was happening, and it seems like it's just so rare that you hear a story like Taylor's, like, "Hey, I'm gonna go build an ASC from scratch," and somebody in their late 30s, early 40s. But but maybe that's just me. I mean, what are y'all seeing? Are you seeing, you know, the people that are coming to y'all to build ASCs? Are most of them in their late 30s, early 40s, or most of them in their you know mid to late 50s, or is it all over the map? It just seems to me that it seems like it's almost like we're less entrepreneurial. But I know we're not. I know that we. We're entrepreneurial in so many other ways, but it, it, maybe it's just going to the bank and getting that big loan uh, that so many that turns away so many of us. Maybe kind of speak to how things were 20 years ago uh, versus now.
1: Well, ASCs were kind of the wild, wild West 20 years ago. I mean, the the market penetration was much low. Um, there was a lot of low hanging fruit from my perspective in the development of centers. There were not necessarily individual physician practices, but group practices of two, three, four, five doctors that collectively were doing 3,000 cases a year. And at that point, it's kind of a no-brainer. I mean, you 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 can't miss. Um, there are only two ways you can really go go wrong in looking at an ASC development. That is. Overestimate the case volumes, which drive revenue. And then the second thing is build the Taj Mahal. I mean, you don't need to do that. You you want a very professional, well-constructed, operationally efficient center, but it doesn't need, you know, granite countertops every place and and, you know marble flooring and, and those sorts of things. That 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 really isn't the image you want to begin with. But kind of revert back to your first question, I think it's kind of a mixed bag. You know, um, I, I think there, the, the, the young physicians coming out of programs and fellowships are kind of bifurcated at this point. I mean, we're at a point where a percentage of those folks are looking at quality of life issues more than career goals necessarily. And so they're not highly motivated to be terribly entrepreneurial. They're being bombarded with um, you know, corporate practice of medicine offers, private equity, and then the entrepreneurial route. But there's still plenty of young physicians that are very entrepreneurial, particularly in ophthalmology, because there are so many role models out there, like the two of you. You know, and 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 Michael Patterson and and others that have created a terrific quality of life and professional portfolio that brings them great enjoyment and economic rewards. So you know, it's it's there's no simple answer to that. There never is.
0: Taylor, take us through. So so now we know kind of your story before, and you decided to go ahead and build. You know, alliance was already open. The clinic was already open, but now it's time to build the ASC. Who knows whether you want granite countertops or not? Who knows how much that stuff costs? How 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 did you know? How did you? I mean, so did you just hire a consulting group um, similar to MCG it, that would just kind of take you through? Hey, this is what this is what this stuff costs, and kind of what take me through those eighteen months that Steve referenced that while while this thing is being built, and you know, what was it like at the ASC you are currently operating at, knowing that you were about to jump ship and take all your cases, you know, to your place? Was that weird? That had to have been kind of weird.
2: Yeah, great question, Blake. Yeah, so, um, you know, I I went ahead and traveled, you know, around a few states, looked at uh, Jim Loden's place up in Tennessee, saw, you know, you want to build the Taj Mahal when you see some of these places. Um, Tim McGarity out in Columbia, Missouri, um, you know, even, you know, Greg Parker's down San Antonio, you see some of these places and you're like, wow, okay, you get ideas. So I got ideas. But the main thing was really the efficiency of it. Like Steve is all- alluding to, you know, you don't need gold countertops, you need efficient place, right? That's how you can move uh, volume safely. And and I feel better than, than any hospital uh, situation, or most hospital situations for sure. So um, doing that, you know, I met with a local um, builder. It's very important to get someone who has built ambulatory surgery centers. Don't get a don't get a builder, a general contractor who his first project is your ASC, okay? It needs to be someone who's done this before and has the experience of dealing with uh, all the Medicare codes. Um, life safety code is a big thing now. Um, has been, but it seems to be more to light lately with these construction jobs. because um, you know you want to pass, obviously, as fast as you can. Um, we uh, I did use uh, progressive surgical solutions out of uh, Tennessee, and they helped me on my project. But I didn't use them from Ground zero. I mean, I did a lot of the stuff on my own. I, I kind of designed ideas, architect, visiting the other sites. I use them, I I use their services more for the credentialing aspect of it. Um, It's a lot of work, you know, you have to have all the binders and all the codes. And, you know, we did get approved the joint commission. uh, We did on the very first pass, which was really awesome. And you want to pass, right? Because if you don't pass, then you can't run insurance through there. And, um, you know, you got to have those, you got to pass. And, and Steve can probably talk more about that um, and how their, their company can, can get you um, through that process as well. And so, you know, just stepping back again to kind of answer up on your question is, you know, to build that refractive LASIK laser cataract surgery practice, you know, uh, my vision was to have it all in-house, um, have the, the surgery there. I, I want to do femto-cataract surgery. I want to do, you know, it's a premium cataract surgery practice. I couldn't get that at the hospital. They wouldn't buy me a FEMTO. You know, they wouldn't give me, um, you know, the, the things I need. Now I have that freedom. Like, I have less stress now than I did when I was with, at the hospital. You know, when I want, you know, I got the new Artivo 800 Zeiss microscopes. I got two of them. But one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, I don't have any neck issues. You know, I'm operating in 3D. A hospital would never do that they had a microscope it looked like it came over on the mayflower um you know i the visualization was terrible um and you know you're dealing with bureaucrats and administrators and they're telling you all the nine different ways that they're not going to get you what you need now if i want something i just go you know i get it of course reasonably budget it in your plan you know don't be too outlandish but uh we do femto cataract now we do you know 3d Um, you know, we can run safely and efficiently, you know, easily six cases an hour. I couldn't do that at the hospital, right? So I really, I'm on the shoulders of other giants that have done this before me. And the formula is pretty easy. I just take the good and try to copy it and then try to learn from what they did that didn't work and try not to repeat those mistakes, you know? And so um, I'm always uh, like when surgeons come in from out of town and visit and, and watch surgery, and, and um, uh, I love helping others just like you do. And so, uh, just pat, uh, pay it forward to the uh, future generation.
0: Yeah, and talk about hiring your, your staff because you're not just hiring technicians and teaching them how to refract. You're hiring nurses. You're hiring, you know, anesthesiologists. You're you're doing a lot. It's not just a front desk person and an office manager. How did you know how to do that? Surely that had to be something that was kind of stressful for you? Did you hire an HR company? Did you hire from within? You know, these are all questions that people listening to this are going to kind of want to know.
2: Exactly. I'd say for your surgery center, the most critical piece is your director of nursing. That's your captain of the ship. um, And he or she runs the show and is responsible, critical for all the credentialing and the you know, the Joint Commission or, um, you know, Medicare, all the the things that go along with your center. So that's the most important piece. So I did, I find a director of nursing who I just was very fortunate, lucky. She, our daughters play soccer together and she's a, a director of nursing for the last five years at a different hospital, not the one I was operating at, and, you know, she was overextended and multi-specialty and neurosurgery and ortho and her quality of life was bad. She was the one that was putting out so many fires. And, and I said, hey, how would you like to come over and just do eyes and, you know, eight to five or, you know, have, have much more of a lifestyle and no call and all those things. And so it's been a beautiful uh, relationship ever since. And I feel like you first want to start with finding that director of nursing, however you can find them, and the like most likely in your local community. And then you could hire an HR uh, department or or a uh, uh, someone that can help you with um, staffing your facility. But from there, you know we I we have nurses that came with her. We had nurses that you know came from other surrounding ASCs and you know, and we just grew from there. It, it, it was uh, not as difficult as I anticipated, but I can see how it could be if you just can't find that right person. But that's the beautiful thing, like you know, with your own facility, you can bring on great quality staff members, and then sometimes you may have to let some go. But I would not have that freedom at a, uh, the ASC or any other ASC that I was um, operating at.
0: Steve, can can these things can can people go to MCG and have y'all help with things like that? How to do staffing? How to you know find a DON? You know, can you kind of walk me through the types of questions and the type of how, how do you facilitate this for for doctors and 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 maybe talk about what payment is? I mean, do, do you get a percentage of what the build out is? Is it is it a flat fee? You don't have to mention numbers, but what kind of cost? You know, how do you how do you get paid?
1: Uh, I'd be happy to address that. And and by the way, Doctor Strange is. Is, is exactly right. The key hire is the nurse director. I mean, the person that makes the trains run on time. You want somebody, ideally, that is, for lack of a better description, the best nurse in the place. Well, and the other aspect of that is many, many, a huge percentage of caregivers, particularly nurses, are introverts. I mean, they're, they're other oriented kind of people. And you'd like to find somebody that's a little, at least a borderline extrovert, that can be a good team leader, can be a disciplinarian when they need to be. And then ideally, somebody that has ASC experience as opposed to spent their entire career in the hospital. Because the last thing you want to hire is your team leader that now wants to turn your ASC into a hospital. and make it operate like a hospital. You know, Dr. Strange said he was doing six cases an hour. I I assume if if you're doing that out of one room, I'm really impressed. But if if you're working out of two, okay, you know, uh, that's perfect. I mean, that's a very efficiently run ASC. Uh, Back to your question, Um, this whole process is a team sport. So you need... uh, Perhaps you need a consulting firm. There are several, you know, that specialize in ophthalmology. Progressive Surgical is one. We're one. Uh, there are a couple of others. Um, uh, our process is a little different. We tend to be, I've tried for 23 years to come up with a better tagline than, than, than uh, turnkey. But uh, we have a whole team of people that gets involved in the process. We have three RNs that really get involved in the equipment, sourcing, um, bringing on board the clinical director who then works with them to build out the team. We provide all the intellectual property. Uh, We're there, we actually, percentage of our fee is withheld until you're Medicare certified. So, you know, we're there through the entire process. We work on a fixed fee. It, you know, kind of has nothing to do with what the construction cost is, or the scope of the project, um, and you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. We just like to work that way. We get involved when it's a gleam in your eye, and we're there until you pass your Medicare certification survey. And we've tried to work um, on aspects of the project um, that. In our experience, has been less efficient than really, you know, being involved from kind of day one.
0: So, in in these last last couple minutes here that we have, Steve, I'm going to ask you to kind of, you know, give me some some you know wrap up thoughts from, from your end. Maybe just kind of mention some some common mistakes or or some real successes that you commonly see people make, and you know, what are some things to kind of look out for? Uh, and then, kind of Taylor, you can take us home after that. Similar question, you know, what's the You know, what are some things that you did wrong uh, or advice that you were given that maybe wasn't the best advice? Maybe you wish you had done something different, mistakes you made and and just kind of some final pearls uh, as we wrap it up. Steve, Steve, you start.
1: Okay, Uh, and it's very unlike me, but I'll try to be brief. Um, The most important thing is to put together a good team. If you have a consultant that's working on the financial analysis and is going to be there through the process, that's one an architect and an engineering firm that is very experienced in the development of surgery centers is is also important, as Dr. Strange mentioned, I think, because it's a highly regulated entity that you're developing. It's not like building a medical office building. The general contractor is equally important. They need to have commercial experience, ideally with hospitals or surgery centers or both. And then, the major subcontractors, electrical, HVAC, plumbing, medical gas, those people can't be, shouldn't be the first time around the block for them as well because they're complicated structures to build but with a good team, it can go very, very efficiently, very economically efficiently and smoothly. As far as mistakes, you know, overbuild it, lie to the per- person putting the performance together about your surgical volumes, and uh, that's about it. There are only two ways you can really screw it up if you have adequate volumes as everybody else, as as you all have indicated before.
2: Taylor, take us home. All right, Blake, thank you. I'll start with some of the uh, the mistake that I you know, encountered on this project that I built, and then I'll end with the the good and the pearls for the very end. But you know, I would say I did come in a little late on using the third party to come in to oversee the um, architectural plans uh, before, con- you know, right when construction. So there was some re-architectural engineering with some of the life safety features of the con- of the construction project. Not a huge hiccup, you know, maybe a month, but we did have to reconfigure some things. So I would suggest any surgeon to. You know, to get with a third party such as uh, uh, with Steve, Steve Shepard provides to maybe earlier on the project, because you can make some mistakes and they can be costly mistakes and delaying your construction is going to cost you um, on the bottom line a long run. So get in early on with these with these third parties to help you build these projects and then um, you know, some pearls here, of course, you know, the elephant in the room with this, Blake, is that you do need to be in a state that has a certificate of need. Um, you know, your state, my state, Texas, Louisiana, we're, we're fortunate enough to have that. Um, and other states where you don't have it, you, uh, you need a certificate of need, it's going to be a, an obstacle, um, maybe not even possible. So that's, you know, kind of rule number one. And, you know, if you're a, a you know, progressive surgeon, and, and you, you want to do volume, um, and you get to that level, um, it's very, very doable. Um, don't, you know, think the bank loan, and it's just to run you away. I mean, your volume alone is going to pay for your loan, if you're at that level. Now, that's the important part, like Steve said, you have to be at that level, don't lie to yourself. And then everything above that, you're going to be very, very happy. And that, that's where I'm at right now. And, and I'm only two and a half years with my uh, surgery center now.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that those are such great pearls. I think that we could talk about this in a week-long course. But you know, for this podcast, we just wanted to kind of scratch the surface of how you can go out and get it. If you want to learn more, I definitely re- I recommend you reach out uh, to Steve and his group over at uh, a Medical Consulting Group. And of course, reach out to Taylor uh, at Alliance as well. Um, and they can tell you more about it. Thank you guys so much for joining me uh, for this episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. And thank you to my colleagues, Dr. Taylor Strange and Steve Shepard. Until next time, this is Dr. Blake Williamson signing off.